This podcast is a production of Faith Living Church. If you like what you hear, join us for church sometime at our Plantsville, Connecticut location, Saturdays, 6 p.m. or Sundays, 9 and 11 a.m. or online anytime at faithlivingchurch.com. But you know, I want to challenge you as you launch out into the year 2019, become conscious of what you're looking for. Are you looking for the positive? Are you looking for the negative? Are you looking for the good? The goodness of God or, or the goodness of man, the people that you know? Are you looking for the, the bad? You'll find either one. Depends on what you are looking for. So whatever we focus upon will dominate our life, the good or the bad. You know, so my question to you now is, what are you looking at? As we we're already really good into 2019 already, you know, we're really way into January, you know. What have you been looking at as we've gotten this far into this year so far? Uh, I'd like us to look at Matthew chapter 6, very familiar passage. We've probably looked at this passage hundreds of times since I've been here. Well, we've only been here, what, 39 years, I think it is now. But we've looked at it hundreds, probably thousands of times. But let's look at it again. And we actually know it as a song. But it says, seek first the kingdom of God. It didn't say seek him second. But it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, having a right relationship with God. But the righteousness of God produces in us the ability to stand in the presence of a pure and a holy God as if sin never existed. When we have received the righteousness of God, what Christ has done, he's given his life, shed his blood, washed us clean. You can stand in the presence of a pure and a holy God without guilt and condemnation as if sin never existed because that's why Jesus gave his life, is to wash you clean, to forgive you. But it says here, Seek first. Now, what, what position did that seek? First. Let's try that again. Seek first. Which position did he say? First. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all the things, if you read chapter 6, all the things that men are seeking, you know, all the material possessions that we need to live, he says, in all these things shall be added to you. They'll come looking for you. Like goodness and mercy, you know, in the Psalms it says, goodness and mercy shall what? Follow you all the days of your life. And his blessings will follow you when you put him first. When Christ is the center of your focus, all else will be in its proper place when we put him first, you know. You and I have been called to an everlasting preoccupation with God. You ever get preoccupied? Is that somebody back there looking at reading something on your phone right now? Are you preoccupied? You're probably using that as your Bible. But we can get preoccupied. I I remember when I was a kid, I'd come home, you know, from school, and I'd be out playing all. My dad would come home from work. He'd be sitting on the sofa there reading a newspaper, have the television on there, and you could tell him it was time for dinner. He didn't hear it. You had to go and rattle the paper, you know. Huh? Huh? You know, because you can get preoccupied, can't you? Well, I believe that God has called you and me 
to become preoccupied with the Almighty God himself. To become preoccupied. The preoccupation of our life, of our heart, of our mind, of our eyes with Almighty God himself. And why shouldn't we? Considering everything he's done for us, we should become preoccupied with him. Now here's an anonymous author <clears throat> made this striking comparison. He says, Socrates taught for 40 years. Plato taught for 50 years. Aristotle taught for 40 years. And Jesus taught for only three years. Yet the influence of Christ's three-year ministry infinitely transcends the impact left by the combined 130 years of teaching from these men who are among the greatest philosophers of all antiquity. Jesus painted no pictures, yet some of the finest paintings of Raphael, Michelangelo, Leonardo da Vinci received their inspiration from Jesus. Jesus wrote no poetry, but Dante and Milton and scores of the world's greatest poets were inspired by Jesus. Jesus composed no music. Still, Hayden and Handel and Beethoven and Bach and on and on and on reached their highest perfection of melody in the hymns and the symphonies and oratories that they composed in his praise. Every sphere of human greatness has been enriched by this humble carpenter, Jesus of Nazareth. His unique contribution to the race of men is the salvation of the soul. Philosophy could not accomplish that. Nor art, nor literature, nor music, only Jesus Christ can break the enslaving chains of sin and Satan. He alone can speak peace to the human heart, strengthen the weak, and give life to those who are spiritually dead. Christ, three years of teaching, has impacted this world. So I'm talking about, as we start off this year, you know, what I'm talking about, what does it say up here? Look into Jesus, your creator. Ain't nobody loves you more than he does, you know. Look into Jesus. It says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, it says, Therefore God exalted him, talking about his son Jesus, to the highest place, Savior, King, Lord. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, above the name of the historians and the artists and the poets, the philosophers, the musicians. God gave his son a higher name than all other names. And verse 10 says that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And one day when it's all came the full circle and we're with almighty God and those who chose to turn away from him, even the demons and devils in hell, one day every creation, willingly or not willingly, every creation will declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. It says it right here. I'm going to read it once again. Verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every, 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 100%, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. 
And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Looking to Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith, who is the King and who is the only Savior of the world. Looking to him as we launch out into 2019, seeking him and his kingdom first. And he says all these other things that we, you and I need, they'll come looking for us. They'll be added to us as we're putting him First, that's what he's telling us here, you know. It says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3, it says, How shall we escape from sin and the consequences of sin? How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? There is no other way. I don't think I have the scripture up there, but you probably already memorized it anyhow. In John, it tells us, Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the Life And no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is the door to heaven because he was a whipping boy. He died in your place. No one else did. He alone is your Savior. There is no other way to get into heaven. God don't do this thing where some people say, well, he's going to weigh my good and my bad. And if, and if I did more good than bad, he's going to let me into heaven. When people come to visit you at your house, do you do that? Do you weigh their good and bad before you let them into your house? Well, God don't do that either. He says, do you have a relationship with my son? Have we accepted? Do we believe that Christ paid for our sins and rose from the dead? That's what he's talking about. Here's an article I came across. Billions of people, picture this if you could. Billions of people were scattered on a great plain before God's throne. Some of the groups near the front talked heatedly, not with cringing shame, for their sins, but with belligerence. How can God judge us, said one. What does he know about suffering, snapped a brunette. She jerked back a sleeve to reveal tattooed numbers from a Nazi concentration camp. We endured terror, beatings, torture, death. In another group, a black man lowered his collar. What about this, he demanded, showing an ugly rope burn. Lynched for no crime but for being black. We have suffocated in slave ships, been wrenched from loved ones, toiled to death, gave release. Far out across the plain were hundreds of such groups. Each had a complaint against God for the evil and suffering he permitted in this world. How luckily God was to live in heaven, where there was no weeping, no fear, no hunger, no hatred. Indeed, what did God know about what man had been forced to endure in this world. After all, God leads a pretty sheltered life, they said. So each group sent out a leader chosen because he had suffered the most. There was a Jew, a, a black man, a, an untouchable from India, an illegitimate person, a, a victim of the Hiroshima in and, and one of the Siberian slave camps. In the center of the plain, they consulted with each other. At last, they were ready to present their case. It was rather simple. Before God would be qualified to be their judge, he must endure what they had endured. Their decision was that God should be sentenced to live on earth as a man. But because he was God... They set certain safeguards to be sure he could not use his divine powers to help himself. Let him be born a Jew. 
Let the legitimacy of his birth be doubted so that no one knew who really his father was. Let him champion a cause so just, but so radical that it brings down upon him the hate, the condemnation and efforts of every major traditional and established religious authority to eliminate him. Let him try to describe what no man has never seen, tasted, heard, or smelled. Let him try to communicate God to men. Let him be betrayed by his dearest friends. Let him be indicted on false charges, tried before a prejudiced jury, and convicted by a cowardly judge. Let him see what it is to be terribly alone and completely abandoned by every living thing. Let him be tortured and let him die. Let him die the most humiliating death with common thieves as each leader announced his uh, portion of the sentence. Loud murmurs of approval went up from the great throng of people. But when the last had finished pronouncing sentence, there was a long silence. No one uttered another word. No one moved. For suddenly all knew God had already served his sentence. He'd already done all of that. And surely he has. Looking to Jesus, who gave his all. The Bible says he created you. And he came here to endure for you all your sins. So you could live with him one day and be totally free. The Bible says he was touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He knows what you've been through. Everything. He knows what it's like. And the Bible says he is able to secure them or help them who go through any difficulties. He's able to help you. That's what he says. Let me read it in Isaiah chapter 53 verse 3. It says he, talking about Jesus, is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and a Acquainted with grief. And it says, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. We respected him not. We honored him not. We revered him not. After all, he went through for us. It says in verse 4, surely he had borne our griefs. He carried our griefs, and he carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken. Uh, smitten of God and afflicted. You got what was coming to you, Jesus. That's what we thought. It says in verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement, the, the beatings of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. He paid the price for our forgiveness and for our healing. That's what he says in his word. And then it declares who we are. Verse 6 says, and all we like sheep, we've all gone astray. We've, we've turned everyone to his own way. And, and the Lord laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. We went astray and the Lord laid the punishment on Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her Shearers is dumb. He opened not his mouth. Jesus could have defended himself. 
The Bible says he could have called legions of angels to rescue him. But he did not because he was paying for your sins that were just sins because of what we have done and somebody had to pay for it and he paid for it. He endured it all because he loved us so much. It says in verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. He was put to death for the transgressions, Isaiah said, of my people was he stricken. Verse 9 says, and he made his grave. Jesus made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Jesus was 100% totally innocent. And he came here and he took the bullet. He jumped in front of you. He took the punishment for you so you didn't have to. So you can be forgiven and you can stand before God and God one day will say, welcome on into my kingdom because of what his son Jesus has done for you. In the book of John chapter 14, we read this last week, last Saturday night. I want to read it again. In John 14, 15, it says, if you love me, this is Jesus talking, if you love me, keep my commands. See, talk is cheap, isn't it? Whether it's in a relationship or a marriage or whatever, a person can say, well, I love you to get what they want, and then they can do whatever they jolly well please. Talk is cheap, real cheap. People, I mean, it even goes into our leaders of our nation, is it not? What do you call them guys? Politicians, is that right? Well, I think we find it across the board, everywhere in every nation, there's people who don't keep the word anymore. But it says here, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. And he's talking about keep my commandments in front of you. Keep them. In the Amplified Bible, it says the person who has, this is Jesus talking, the person who has my commands and, and keeps them is the one who really loves me. The person who keeps their vows and their commitments he says, the person who has my commands and keeps him is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my father, and I too will love him and will show. What's the next word? Reveal. Manifest. What? Myself. I will manifest myself to him. And this is a promise that Jesus made to you, and you can claim it and put God to the test if he does what he says or not. He says, I will let myself. Be clearly seen by him, the him or her who keeps his word. He says, I will let myself, Jesus says, I'm going to let myself be clearly seen by him and her and make myself, what's that say? And make myself real to him. It's talking about him kind. Mankind includes women. Jesus says, I'll make myself real to him and her. I'm going to tell you, I know him. Got a relationship with him. No rules and regulations. That religious stuff is the religious people who crucified Jesus. You've got to understand. Jesus came here for relationship with us. And that he, that's what he wants with you even now. Now, you know, there was a uh, story, and I'm sure I've told it before, but in hard times in the Arctic regions, way up north where everything is white, in the hard times... A young man 
when his family and all of his friends from their little village, these Eskimos, a young man would go out at night into the snow. He'll be storming or whatever with nothing, armed with nothing but a spear, because that's what he had. And he would go out there and he would wander through the snow. And there are polar bears out there, and anything that moves is something to eat to a polar bear. And a young man would go out there, and when a polar bear finally caught up with him, he would shake his spear at a polar bear. And the polar bear would stand on his hind legs, towering 10 foot tall, and then would pounce upon him. And the young man would put the spear on his foot so it wouldn't sink into the snow, and he would aim the spear at the polar bear's heart. And the polar bear would pierce his own self. But many a time, the polar bear had enough strength and energy to wound or to kill the man. And the next day, the family and friends would track this man's tracks in the snow and find a dead polar bear with the young man who gave his life. When missionaries went to the Arctic regions to share the gospel with people, that was the only way they could communicate that Jesus is the good hunter and he gave his life for his sheep. And he genuinely did. But the scripture tells us that the word is like a sword of the spirit. And when you and I Keep God's word in front of us. It's having our sword out. You know what I'm talking about? How many of you got a pocket knife? Could you get it out quickly if you needed to? Now, that's a pocket knife. But I'm going to tell you something. The Bible says this is a sword of the spirit. And when you pray and when you need it, you can hold it out in front of you and let the devil pierce himself on it because this is our weapon, our only weapon as a believer that we can stand upon his word and it will defend us. His word is true. And his word will always provide everything that he's promised unto us. A decade after his expedition, Christopher Columbus wrote, it was the Lord who put into my mind. I could feel his hand upon me. He put it in my mind to sail to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. There is no question that the inspiration from the Holy Spirit, because he comforted me with rays of marvelous illumination from the Holy Scriptures. Our Lord Jesus Christ desired to perform a very obvious miracle in the voyage to the Indies. And in the midst of that, I think he found a land that we're pretty familiar with. But he testified, documented, that it was God who inspired him to do that. Looking to Jesus. He knows everything about this planet, knows everything about you. He knows everything about the future. And if we'll put him in his kingdom first, we're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. That's just the way it is, you know. If you remember the religious leader, who asked Jesus on one occasion, he says, teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Do you remember what Jesus told him? 
He said, well, the greatest, number one, was the Lord to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And I'm going to tell you, when you love God with all of that, when you love him with all of that, it's easy to keep your eyes on him. When you're crazy about him and your relationship because he's forgiven you, he took your place, and he's the one who's given you any and every good thing you ever have, and he's given you the promise of eternity. When you begin to love him with your, your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength, it's easy to keep your eyes on him. He's your hero. He's taking care of you, and he'll continue to lead and guide you. He goes on to say here in Psalms 10, verse 4, it says, The wicked one, in the pride of his countenance, his self-importance, his overconfidence, it says, the wicked one, in the pride of his countenance, will not seek, inquire for, or yearn for God. Those who are prideful, overconfident, you know, self-important. It says they will not seek, inquire for, or yearn for God. All his thoughts are that there is no God, and so there is no accountability. We like to think, well, there's no God. There's no accountability. I can just do whatever I want to. It don't matter no more, you know. And he says all his thoughts are that there is no God, so he never punishes. Hmm. God is not in all of his thoughts. But I'm going to tell you, when you get to know him, you go, no, he is real. He is real. How many would testify this night beyond a shadow of a doubt, and you would do it in a, a courtroom if you had to? How many would declare that you know Jesus Christ in a personal way? Whoa. His hands up all over the place. It's possible. So keeping our eyes on him, keeping our focus on Jesus in this coming year, and he says, all the things we have need of is going to come looking for us. They'll be added to us. That's what he says. Now, there's an atheist. Once upon a time, he complained to a friend because Christians have all their special holidays, such as Christmas and Easter. And the Jews celebrate their national holidays, such as Passover and Yom Kippur. He says, but, but we atheists, he said, we have no recognized national holidays. It's unfair discrimination. And his friend replied, why don't you celebrate April the 1st? <laughs> what you guys laughing at? Let me read you a verse out of the Bible. It says in Psalms 14 verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. I think April the 1st is a very appropriate holiday for those who don't believe that there's a God. Very appropriate. Okay. You've got a good sense of humor there. Thank you. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, it says, remember that, at, remember that at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from any relationship with him. You were excluded from any relationship with Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise with no share in the sacred messianic promise and without knowledge of God's agreements, having no hope in his promise and living in the world without God. That is scary. 
not having the promises, not having the knowledge of God, living in this world without God sounds extremely scary to me. You can go through anything with God because we know the best is yet to come. We know what God has in store for those who trust in him. He goes on to say in verse 13, but now at this very moment in Christ Jesus for the men, the women, the boys and girls who are in this room or downstairs in our cafe or up in the balcony or those who are watching online, it says, but now at this very moment in Christ Jesus, you who were once so very far away from God have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And I'm going to tell you something. That's what we celebrated communion about. Because what Christ said, we, you, I, we can be as close to Jesus as you want to be. Did you know that? You can be just as close to him as you want to be. Keep your eyes on him. And he says he will reveal himself and make himself real to you if you'll just keep his word out in front of you. The enemy will pierce himself on it, but keep it in front of your eyes. And that's so we can follow it, you see. And he says he'll make himself real to us. It says here in John chapter 3, verse 14, it says, Just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert on a pole, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. You remember why Moses lifted that pole up in the wilderness? People were complaining and fussing and mourning, growing and belly about two, three million people. And snakes crawled out from underneath the rocks and from little caverns and underneath little bushes, venomous. And they were bite people. When someone got bit, they would die shortly. And Moses got a hold of God, and God says, build this brass bronze serpent, and I want you to put it on the top of a pole and put it up as high as you can put it up, and you tell the people, when you get bit by a serpent that would kill you shortly, tell them just to turn and look to that serpent that's been put up on that pole and the venom of the snake bite will cease and you'll live. Read it for yourself in the Old Testament and the New Testament. It tells you that. They actually did this. And here in John, he says, chapter 3, verse 14, just as, just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert on a pole, so must the Son of Man, talking about Jesus, be lifted up on the cross. Now, was Jesus lifted up on a cross? Now, have we been bitten by snakes? The Bible says we've all sinned. And what was the very first picture that we see in the Bible? What did Satan appear as? A snake, a serpent. He tempted Adam and Eve. And it says so, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. And when you and I, we've all sinned. We've fallen short. We have been, you know, poisoned by Satan. And if we'll look to Christ, look to the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says that. Just as Moses lifted up the bronze serpent in the desert on a pole, so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. So that whoever, and that's a blanket that includes everybody, so whoever believes and looks to Jesus, so whoever, whoever believes will in him have, what's that word? Eternal life after physical death 
and we'll actually live forever. I'm talking about looking to Jesus, who is your Savior, who is your Lord, and who is your King. It's not a waste of time to seek Him. It's not a waste of time to get your eyes on Jesus, who gave His life for you. And He said, if you'll put Him and His kingdom first, all the things that you have need of in 2019, or whenever and how long you live, those things are going to come looking for you. Like the psalm says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Nikolai Burdyav, who abandoned Markism for Christianity, insists that neither history nor theology nor the church brought him to the Christian faith, but a simple Christian woman called Mother Maria. He was present at a concentration camp when the Nazi the Nazis were murdering Jews in gas chambers. One distraught mother refused to part with her baby. When Maria saw that the officer was only interested in numbers, without a word, she pushed the mother aside and quickly took her place. This action revealed to Berdyev the heart of Christianity and what atonement means. My Bible says they'll know you're Christians by your... Um, your love, which is action. Love is only known by the action that it prompts. And people will see your love through your actions. You're exactly right, you know. Hmm. Think about it. Obstacles are those frightening, you know, uh, things that you see when you take your eyes off of Jesus. <laughs> but when you got your eyes on Jesus, yea, though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we'll fear no evil because he's with us. And we will walk with him, and we will see him one day face to face. Have you established uh, this habit of always looking to Jesus no matter what? He will help you. He is there for you. Ain't nobody as crazy in love with you as Jesus is. That's just the truth of it. Ain't nobody loves you as much as he does. He created you in the very beginning. He's got plans for you. He's got a fantastic mansion waiting for you one day. And this is like a test. We're pilgrims, as the Bible says, and we're passing through, and we're looking for this city whose builder and, and maker is God. That's what he promised us. That's what he says in his word. 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21 says, Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. See, our capacity to say no to the devil determines our capacity to say yes to God. You can't say both. You can't say yes to both. You know, who are you going to look at? Who are you going to follow? I'd say let's look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who has promised all the things you have need of. He's going to come looking for you in 2019 if you put him in his kingdom First, that's what I'm talking about. Hmm. Joshua and Caleb in the Old Testament. It tells us that when they were getting ready to go into the promised land, Joshua and Caleb, they kept their eyes on God. And there were 10 other spies. These other spies, what were they looking at? Does anybody know what they were looking at? Giants. And these other 
these other spies was going into the promised land. It's just the way God said, but God didn't tell us there was giants here. And the Bible says, it says, and we looked at those giants beside us over there, and we, we saw ourselves like grasshoppers. Do you see yourself like a grasshopper when it comes to the problems that you're going to face in 2019? Do you see yourself as already defeated before the problems even arise? Or do you see yourself as greater as the Lord Jesus Christ who is in me than the devil that's in this world? Do you see yourself as a young lad named David with a slingshot who can take giants out of the picture with just a stone? I am telling you, with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. And we keep our eyes upon him in this new year, and the devil will tempt us with everything he has to throw at us to distract us so we don't keep Christ in first place. That's what the enemy of our soul will do his best. When we were in India in 1937, they told us of a professor in a Hindu university who, to the surprise of both Hindus and Christians, he announced that he had become a Christian. Hmm professor of a Hindu university. He announced that he had become a Christian, and soon after his announcement, he went to a Christian church service on the Sabbath day. The minister asked the new convert to tell the people what he had found in Christianity that he could not find in Hinduism. The learned man said, if you expect me to make a derogatory remark about the ancient religion of my fathers, you will be disappointed. There are many good things in Hinduism. Their moral maxims are splendid, and there's much to be admired. But you have asked me to tell you what I found in Christianity that I could not find in Hinduism. And I will tell you in one word. I found a Savior. And we need a Savior from our sins. Jesus alone, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He took your place. He went to the cross. The Bible says he descended into hell for three days. He took the keys that were designed by the devil to incarcerate you, to, to lock you up through eternity. And Jesus took the keys. The Bible says he did, and he rose from the dead. He says, you don't have to go there. All you got to do is believe in me. Just believe in me. He says he'll forgive us. That's what he tells us. Oh, there's so much more I want to tell you. But I don't have time to go into all of it. Let me see. What can I tell you before we quit for tonight? Imagine. Anybody here have a camera? Most everybody who has a phone nowadays has a camera. Most everybody. Can you imagine if, if you had 10 high-quality, high-energy uh cameras, and everybody took a picture, would they be all high-quality photographs? No. Why? Depends on what you're looking at. Is that right? Have you ever taken a picture of the ground when you was trying to get set to take a picture of something else? <laughs> all of us, right? But the thing that we take a picture of, we have to be looking and focusing upon. What are you focusing on right now? You know, there, there's a, several verses in the Bible that tells us, you know what this little thing is here? 
It's a magnifying glass. Whoa. Let me tell you what happened with this magnifying glass. If you could find an itsy-bitsy, teeny-weeny spider, and you looked at it, not through this part here, but there's a, there's a, a more high-powered magnifying glass over in the corner here, what would happen if you could look at that spider through this? Ah! Looks like a monster. And a lot of people magnify their problems. I'm not saying that we should ignore our problems, but please don't magnify them. My Bible says that we should magnify the Lord. And when I say magnify him, you just genuinely bring him into focus so you can see him a little bit more like he really is. And my Bible tells us that greater is the Lord Jesus Christ in me than any demon or devil that's in this world. My name's written in the book of life. I know I'll spend eternity there. And as soon as I get there, if the Lord let me, I'm going to do this, and I think he will let me do that. I'm going to go slipping and sliding down them streets of gold in my sock feet. So when you get there and you see somebody sliding up and down them streets of gold, that'll be me. They are there for real. And I'm going to tell you, I'm 63 years old. I got a whole lot of family and friends that's already on the other side. And I'm looking forward to it. Meanwhile, there's a lot of people who don't know the good news. They don't know that Christ has paid. They don't understand. They just got to believe. They don't know that yet. But I want to tell you, magnify God. Get familiar with him. Get familiar with his promises. And when it comes to little spiders, instead of magnify them, squash them. You know what I'm talking about? Don't give them time to bite you, right? Just squash them. Can you squash a, a, a venomous spider? I've squashed a bunch of them, you know. And you can. And I'm not talking about being foolish, but I'm talking about keeping your eyes on Jesus. That's what I'm talking about. It says in John chapter 12, verse 20, it says, And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. And the same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. The request from the Greeks as they came to the disciples is, Sir, we would see, we would like to see Jesus. Oh, would to God that that was the cry and the desire of every one of our hearts. I want to see Jesus. Jesus said, if you'll keep my word, he said, I will make myself real. I will make myself clearly seen to you. Put him to the test. You will never deny him. It'll never be this, well, maybe he is, or maybe he, when he reveals himself to you, it's absolutely undeniable. And he wants to reveal himself, to show himself to any man woman, boy, and girl who will keep his word in front of them and they'll read it and they'll take it to heart. He reveals himself to us through his word. Well, the final thing I want to share with you before we close is just that a dirty heart has a difficulty seeing Jesus. And it says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, it says, blessed are the the pure in heart, for they shall see God. 
And the only way we get a pure heart is to acknowledge to God, my heart ain't so pure right now, God. He says if you'll confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from every wrong. So confess your sins to God. Allow him to cleanse you and to forgive you and, and establish this fantastic, awesome relationship that he will allow you to see him. He'll reveal himself to you, and he will reveal so much to us through his love letters that he has written to us. It's just absolutely fantastic and amazing. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, I thank you for your son Jesus who has given so much to rescue us. We thank you for all the promises that you have given us that does reveal so much about you, your heart, and your plan for us. Lord, we want to surrender all of our past and all of our present and all of our future, the good, the bad, and the ugly. We just want to yield it all to you, almighty God. And ask that you would do a massive, mighty, powerful, awesome work in our heart in 2019. Lord, I ask that you would touch every man, woman, boy, and girl in this room, those in our cafe and the balcony, and those who are watching online. Lord, that you would move upon each and every one of us as we yield once again and surrender our lives over to you. As our heads are bowed, would you reaffirm your faith in Christ with me now? And those of you who may be here or listening to this, maybe you've never surrendered to him, would you join us as we pray together right now? Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I believe that you love me. I believe you got some good plans for my life. I believe your word. I believe it's true. I believe that Jesus died in my place, that he shed his blood, gave his life so I could receive it. I believe that Jesus rose from the dead. And that he's knocking at the door of my heart. And I open wide my heart. And I receive Jesus as my Savior, as my Lord, and as my King. I'm sorry for the times I failed you, Lord. I receive your forgiveness now. I surrender myself completely and say, your will be done in me and through me. In Jesus' name, amen.